Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a light-hearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Welcome to Care Talkers. I'm Sandrina Tian. And I'm Anita Flores. And this episode is loosely titled Caretaking. Where to begin? And that is because caretaking is a very, uh, I would say, there's a lot of moving parts to caretaking. Sandrine, do you agree? I absolutely agree. I often say it's multidimensional even. Multi, I like that, multidimensional. And I want to be uh, very honest with our listeners. You know, there's a number of, uh, I'd say we've recorded a lot of stuff out of order. And I don't want to use it too much as, as an excuse, but I, I personally can say that my own caretaking duties sometimes, I would say, impact my level of productivity. Um, and so to give you an example, this is, to me, this is a big step for me in that today, Sandrine and I are recording the day after I have gotten back from visiting my dad. Uh, and I, I'll go back to that. But usually when I, when I, uh, visit my dad, you know, he listeners, if you're familiar, uh, you know, my dad was diagnosed with dementia and I go back every month, every other month uh, to, you know, hang out with him, but also do lots and lots of things for him, including doctor's appointments and cleaning and many other things. And this has been going on for almost two years now. And I used to early on from coming back from these weekends, I'd be like, I need a day and a half to quote unquote recover. But that has changed in that, you know, I got back last night and now it's the next morning, and now I'm recording with you, Sandrine. It's I'm, nice. I'm so, like, grateful for that. <laughs> um, just because I know how much of an experience it can be, and I don't want to, like, speak for you, but I can imagine the emotions that you're kind of going through and just processing everything and just okay, well, this this is what happened this time. And just being able to, like, utilize this forum to kind of talk about it all, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and, oh, boy, even just with what you just said, I have so many thoughts, mm -hmm. <laughs> including I think what's so interesting is, like, I've – I don't know if compart compartmentalize is the right word, but it's, like, because I'm 33 and I would say, I'd say still early in life, early-ish, there's lots of other things going on in my life other than, you know, being a caretaker for my dad. And now the more I realize that, the more I've been able to say have the moments where I'm feeling sad or frustrated, I'm able to do them in shorter spurts of time now. Mm. Like, 
<laughs> to give you an example, like yesterday, uh, my fiance and I were driving back from New York. And in the past, I feel like there'd be a lot of crying, like night that I'd get back and the day after. But yesterday it was like, I had a nice little neat cry in the car. Mm. <laughs> and then like, that was it. <laughs> and and I don't know, I, I, I feel very strange talking about organizing your emotions, but it's like, I feel like sometimes you need to do that just to be functional, just to, you know, do everything that you want to do in the day. But I feel like I'm, I want to go back to this, but on the other hand, I bring all of this up because this episode that we're doing, loosely titled Caretaking, Where to Begin, it's, it's a tough topic. Mm. We, we have a bunch of interviews and conversations that Sandrine and I have had uh, that originally we were going to put into different pockets of episodes. Like we did uh, an interview with somebody about their experience as a caretaker. We also did an interview with somebody who you're going to meet in the next episode who facilitates support groups for people who have family members who suffer from dementia. And I was, and I thought, oh, that's a dementia episode. But it's like, actually, it's not. It's more focused on people that are taking care of people who have dementia. It's not to say, I think, Sandrine, we've talked about this before, but we want to do an episode that's specifically about dementia. But it sounds like this is not, these are not the episodes. This one is not it. Right. It's definitely not it. Because dementia has so many different layers to it. And I think... We've mentioned this before, but like even with caretaking, there's so many different layers to it. But it just seems like it would need its own episodes. So we're just kind of going with the flow here. <laughs> I mean, hell, like need its own episode, need its own episodes. <laughs> yes. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, there was a thread that I, I'm in, I'm in a bunch of various different kinds of support groups for people with, uh, loved ones with dementia. And I, I, I'm mentioning this to say, could this be its own episode? But somebody basically was writing to ask people if they ever used medical marijuana with loved ones who suffered from dementia. And it was a mixed bag of responses, but I, that I could relate to so deeply. Some of them were like, are you talking about you, the caretaker smoking weed? Or the, the person with dementia? Some people were like, thank God for marijuana. Like, it's getting me through my anxiety as a caretaker. Separately, there were people saying, my, my loved one uh, takes medical marijuana and it helps with sundowning mm -hmm. and sort of uh, just some of the anxiety and different effects. Keep in mind, I am not a health professional. Mm -hmm. These are just observations. But I would say that could be an entire episode of our podcast about medical marijuana <laughs> and uh, and what has it helped people with? Um, so I say that just because again, this is a murky topic. So yeah, so uh, so today I thought would be a good opportunity to just kind of talk about our own experiences with caretaking. So Sandrine, um, you know, I know that you, uh, well, you know what? I, I'm talking too much. Sandrine, I, I'd love to hear about your experience uh, as a caretaker. What is your experience? Um, so about seven years ago or so, my mom had back surgery. And it was planned. However, 
I don't think I realized that I was going to be a caretaker. <laughs> Nobody does, right? I feel like you just often don't see it coming. It's just like suddenly it's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the 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 car that just crashes into you or something. Not literally, but you know what I mean. It's just <laughs> yeah, very unexpected. So that started for me then, and currently, as we've moved over throughout the years. I realized, wow, <laughs> I'm constantly, uh, I'm still a caretaker. Um, you know, even though my, my mom is, is relatively well, she's just had to have uh, multiple surgeries um, because of arthritis-related issues and things. And there's just so much to juggle. And you'll hear Anita and I reference this perhaps in later episodes, but we both come from only children households. So <laughs> that brings on a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety. And also, I mean, let's let's be real here. I'm also a social worker that deals with folks that go through the same thing. So I feel like I have definitely uh, very unique experiences. And I'll tell you recently, um, so I am expecting. Um, Yay. Yes. Uh, I knew that. <laughs> yes. That's I why I, to I didn't that. freak out just now. I did now. <laughs> yeah, this is not the first time Anita's doing this. Um, so with that, there's a whole another set of things that you have to worry about. And I didn't realize until my mom kind of, you know, we were at her last doctor's appointment and uh, the doctor said, oh, okay, you're going to come back in September for a follow-up and we're going to do this, this, and this. And my mom goes, oh my gosh, the baby's going to be here. What What are we going to do with the baby? What are we, what are we going to do with the baby? Mm. And I'm like, well, I mean, the baby has a dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're just going to figure it out. And it's kind of like how I feel like caregiving is. It's kind of like you got to figure it out. But then there's just not enough of us talking about our struggles and our challenges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's why we want to bring you on along with us on this journey because it's so multidimensional and there's so many different layers, so many different moving parts, so much, so much emotions. And I appreciate the fact that I have Anita because she brings such lightness to it. And we're not making fun of it. It's just, oh. listen, you, you, you got to have some, some laughter here and there because it makes us human, oh. right? So you need the laughter and you, you need the joy and, I, it, it's amazing to me. I'm, I'm so happy and excited that you're expecting. And it gives me hope personally, because I think what's so, and it's amazing to me because I didn't know this when we first met. I didn't know that you were an only child mm -hmm. at first. Um, and it, and I, and later on folks, in, a, in another uh, episode, we are going to have somebody talk about sort of the complications of family dynamics with caretaking, because that's its own mess, <laughs> <laughs> or not mess, something to get through. It's, it's its own challenge. But what specific, there are so many specific obstacles being a caretaker as an only child. And it's not just, it's like 
I personally, there's so many things that I never thought I would be thinking about at my age right now. One thing that I think about constantly now as a caretaker is what is going to happen if I have kids? Because one of the things that I think it makes me happy in terms of like other people, but also a little sad and a little, you know, feel sorry for myself is like, I feel like family is often a big part, like your extended family are a big part of that support system for possibly having a baby. And, you know, in my case, I have, in terms of on my dad's side, my entire family is in Peru Mm. and they're the best. Like, oh my, I, like I, I, I spoke with, with cousins and aunts yesterday or two days ago when I was talking with my dad and they're so far away. It just makes it feel, you know, lonely. And, um, and yeah, and I am an only child. And so I do worry about if I don't have the classic family unit, like, you know, mom and dad who can help me through having a kid and it just, it's complicated. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily think that because you don't have those things that everyone tells you you're supposed to have, that should not stop anyone from having a baby. 100%. So two things give me hope. One, I feel like you're on your way to starting a family, but I look at you and I see myself in you in that you have a group of friends, more than a group of friends. You have, I don't, tell me if this sounds crazy, but like, (laughs) I feel like your friends remind me of the way I see my friends, which are like chosen, chosen family. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, I feel like that often happens with only children. Like we keep our circle pretty small. I mean, I have a bunch of friends, but I have like the core group that I know that I can rely on. And even if they're not here per se, like in New York, I just know that if I have an issue or if I'm going through something or whatever it is, they'll give me that support that I need. And I think for me that they are my extended family. I love that. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, and I feel, I get pretty, again, I, I think this is really just over the last few years, you know, be, becoming a caretaker, that not everyone, lots of people don't have, you know, a picture perfect start or the so-called family unit that you think you're supposed to have. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, just because you didn't have that structure, like, you should be able to start your own traditions, your own, if you want a family, if you don't want a family, like, you don't have to be related to the people that are most important to you. Like, my very best friend in the world who lives in Connecticut, we call each other sisters. Mm. Yeah, she's my sister. We've only been able to hang out with each other for, like, 30 minutes at a time because I'm basically, like... I've been coming back um, on very specific weekends to see my dad, squeeze in as many things on the to-do list as possible. Then I go see my best friend for like 30 minutes. And by then I'm I'm fucking tired. Absolutely. <laughs> like emotionally, physically. But she said to me, she texted me a few weeks ago and she's like, are you going to come back for longer than 30 minutes? Because I don't want you to miss your nephew's, all his biggest moments in life. Aww. And I was like, oh. Don't worry, like we're gonna get back to where we were soon. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna start doing normaler visits where I get to go hang out with her for a whole day. Um, but it does remind me, I don't necessarily know 
I can't speak for all of Latin America, but it reminds me of the fact that my dad, he has quote unquote family members in Peru, including my aunt, who's he calls his cousin, who I found out they're not related, mm-hmm. but they but their moms like were pregnant together and they grew up close to each other. They're cousins. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, yeah, I say all of that because I do think being an only child as a caretaker brings its unique challenges. And now you are expecting, and I have no doubt, Sandrine, what a wonderful mom that you'll make. And to me, there's no real blueprint in that you're like, okay, I have my own support system and it might look different than other people's. Also, it's interesting when you think about parents' ages, Mm -hmm. because I'm like very (laughs) anti being pressured into having a kid. From what I've heard, it seems like you, when you know, you know. I never want to be like, oh, I'm having a kid because I guess I should. I don't know if that makes any sense. (laughs) Oh, it, it makes total sense. First of all, for our listeners, I'm 40. And this is my first. <laughs> um, I've I've had lots of lots and lots of pressure. Although I, I don't have family here in New York, um, most of my family is scattered all over the place, and they're just as supportive as my friends. Um, and I and I'm I'm grateful for them. But I did get a lot of pressure as far as when are you having a baby? When are you gonna get it together? And it's it's time. It's time. I mean, my own mother um, was extremely like, oh my goodness, maybe you should go see a doctor because maybe something's wrong. And I'm like, look, I don't need any of the additional pressure. It will happen when it's supposed to happen. And here we are. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. Exactly. And one question that just came to mind is I feel really grateful that I can talk to you and we can both kind of commiserate you know, I feel like, yes, we're both doing forms of caretaking for our parents, but it's, I would say I'm still not at the age yet where like, I know lots of people dealing with that. Like at 33, I think I'm still in an age group where this is going to sound so morbid and it's just who I am sometimes these days, but it's like, I feel like I've been seeing sort of like as I've gone through, you know, starting with weddings that I started going to in my early 20s, there's all kinds of different stages that I'm seeing get hit. So like, you know, I feel like I went through the stage of what I considered in my head early weddings that were like early 20s. (laughs) Then I hit some more weddings mid-20s. Then at the end of 20s, I started hitting some divorces. Mm. And now... I consider myself, I'm engaged. Uh, Thank you, listeners. I hear you all clapping. Um, (laughs) I am engaged at 33. And I knew that already. (laughs) That's right. Sandrine already knew because we're friends. Um, Personally, I feel like maybe I waited a little later to get married, you know, in my early 30s. Okay, so I say all of this because I feel that that's where I'm at. But also at this age, now I'm starting to see more people, boy, Sandrine, I don't know how to put this. I'm starting to see the age range of people in my life where there's people's family members who are passing away and it's like a shock. It's still like, oh, they were only in their early 60s. 
uh, like as in, I feel like I'm entering a period where it's still not like everyone is like, oh yes, I've gone through this. Like mm-hmm. I'm still at an age, like I remember I started going to caretaker support groups through the Alzheimer's Association. And I went and everyone was amazing and wonderful and kind, but I was the youngest person there. And everyone else that was there had a, like a grandparent or like a woman came with her daughter. Mm. Uh, and they were sort of talking about what it's been like taking care of their mother slash grandma. And, you know, to be completely honest, it it made me feel even lonelier because I was like, I'm here by myself. I don't have any brothers or sisters. It sucks. <laughs> Not the support group, but just the situation. Um so shout out to the Alzheimer's Association. I then found out after that meeting that they have, and this is no secret, uh, if, if the more people that know about it, the better, that there is a support group just for people in their 20s and 30s. It truly is a very unique situation. Just the idea that you're still early enough, I'm still early en- enough in life, I'm engaged, I might want to have kids at some point, but I'm still you know, there's a person in my life who I now must take care of until the very end. And it really changes how I do anything now, like in terms of like how irresponsible I might want to be, which (laughs) is not very irresponsible. (laughs) You know, like for me, it's like two drinks, two alcoholic drinks, time to hydrate, time to cut myself (laughs) off. Um, Okay. I say all of this because I feel like I super got off track here. Do you feel, Sandrine, like, how do you feel talking about it to people that aren't going through the same thing as you? Um, I'm I'm comfortable talking about it. And I think it's just because of my professional background, because I'm I'm in it. But what's so interesting is that it wasn't until I, you know, did a designated social media page to focusing on many of these issues that I get questions in my DMs about caretaking and caregiving, which proves my point as to why we started this podcast is because it's such an isolating experience mm-hmm. that people don't feel super comfortable talking about it openly. And I think that like having this space to talk with you about it will make people more comfortable talking about it openly, so to speak. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's so strange because I, I don't feel that I am super open. I'm not telling anyone who will listen about all the little things that come up that might fully f- make me cry. Like, I, I hope it's okay to bring this up, but I think recently – you had an issue with your car. Funny, you taking your can you, yeah, funny can you, you ta- say that because I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, please. I'd l- can you men- please talk yes, about that? Yes. <laughs> so I was on my way to take my mom to the doctor, and let me preface this by saying that I work full time. Okay, six and I, days a week. <laughs> six days a week. Yes. Six days yes. a week. Yes. And I decided I had told my boss, look, I'm just going to take the day just because, listen, when you're pregnant, and I'm not using this as an excuse, but when you're pregnant, you're like, your ability to do things, there's a small window, okay? 
And normally, the old me <laughs> would be like, okay, I'm going to go go to work for a few hours, come back home, pick up my mom, take her back, take her to the doctor, and then come back, and then drop her off, and then go back to work, business as usual. I was like, I'm not going to do one of those days. I'm going to just take the day, spoke to my supervisor, who's great, and explain to her, whatever, fine, no problem. On our way to the doctor, I drive over a pothole. No. <laughs> and immediately after, <laughs> I get the notification that I have a flat tire. And I'm like, oh. and my mom was like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. And I'm like, mm, no, it, it, it might be pretty bad because the sign doesn't usually come up right away. <laughs> so luckily for us, en route to the doctor, I noticed a flat tire place. So I pull over and... um the guy's like, oh, okay, let me let me look. And it was completely flat, like completely flat. And I wanted to just bawl and just cry yeah. and just, oh, it was just so upsetting. But my mom was so incredible because she started comforting me. <laughs> and it was like, I was literally just wanting to take her to the doctor. And also, I and I don't think I told you this part, um, Anita, but... It was really coming close to taxes being due. I think they had extended the deadline or something to like May 17th. But I had already spoken to my tax guy and I was trying to like fit in all the things like we were saying juggling. I was like, okay, I have like a small window <laughs> to drop off the taxes, then go to the doctor. And then that way, by the time we're done with the doctor, we'll just pick up the tax because they'll be done for both my mom and I. And like, I felt like, okay, that would be such an accomplishment. <laughs> but obviously it didn't go that way. And our whole, like everything got turned around. And my biggest worry was having to reschedule the doctor. And of course, mm -hmm. while they're changing the flat, um, I had to get a whole new flat while they're doing that. I'm on the phone with the doctor's office, like, please don't cancel the appointment. Please just let us, like, have some sort of grace period because we're late. And thankfully, it worked out. So, but I Thank say all goodness. that. To, yeah. And I say all that to say, like, you're literally juggling all the things. Yep. But the fact that my mom was comforting me mm -hmm. <laughs> was just, it was just really amazing and really sweet. And I appreciated that because... I think I needed to hear that. And because she wasn't stressing, then that brought my level of worry and anxiety significantly down. It's beautiful that she was able to comfort you. And it does remind me, again, I can only speak for my experience. You can only speak for your experience. But like my dad last week, like he tripped. We don't even know. It's hard because, you know, he has dementia. So like Unfortunately, when things happen, he can't even specify like how they happened. I'm sure that's pretty common um, in people in his position, but he tripped and fell. He had to go to the emergency room and I was already prepped, told by the nurses where he lives and the emergency room that he was okay. But it was a pretty big, huge bruise on his knee. Mm. And the nurse was like, do you want to talk to him? So I get on the phone with him and I'm like, all right, here's everything we're going to do. I'm, you know, good thing I'm coming to see you tomorrow. We're going to do this, this, and this. I don't know. He just said something like, he's like, yeah, great. I'm okay. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. And he's also not in a, like a, a late stage. I would say he's still in an earlier stage of dementia. So um, it was just sweet and it's nice in these moments. I don't know, to just have a parent moment like that. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. Also- your whole story just now perfectly encapsulated 
why I often, and I'm so glad that you, and happy that you can share your experience with me and it's deeply relatable to me, but I've had stories like that where there's all these moving parts and like, you know, one thing topples and the whole operation is ruined. Your whole, you know, you're like, oh, I have this day planned. And if this doesn't happen today, the whole thing gets screwed up. I'm going to have to schedule this doctor's appointment. What a nightmare. It is impossible for me to describe these things to friends that mm. haven't been through this because it there is no simple answer. Mm. It's like, I, I. it's always a story like that, Sandrine, where it's like, you know, no, nothing bad has happened to my dad. As in, like, for example, often people who care, people I'm, or maybe even people I'm not super close with but are aware of the situation will go, how's your dad? Or how are you? And it's like, I feel like the only answer I can really give that's going to be quick <laughs> is like, good. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's hard because this is an ongoing situation. It's hard because there are these moments that you don't think are going to make you cry, cry. Like, I've been trying to get somebody like a home aide to come start spending more time with my dad as he struggles with more things. I found this amazing woman and they started working together for two weeks and she called me and I deeply appreciated it. And I have no bad words to say about her because she's so sweet. She was like, I actually got a full-time job offer. I had to, it, I, I, I mean, I feel bad because I could not keep it together. As soon as she told me, I was like trying to be professional. You know, on the plus side, this is a lovely woman who also has a sister who also works in um, homemade care. So her sister is actually going to start working with my dad, which is wonderful. And I'm excited about that. But I kept it together for as long as I could on the phone. Mm -hmm. After we hung up, I really burst into tears. I, you know, my, my fiance came in and I was saying, I can't do this again. I can't, when I say I can't do this again, the process to find somebody to come spend time with my dad was hard. Mm. And what makes it hard? Loving him. <laughs> All of these things that we do, okay, that I do, are even harder because I care about my dad. I love him. So it's not like, it's not like I think of all the things that he needs and I'm like, ugh, all right, well, let me just do the least amount of work and here's a person. Cool, whatever. It's not, that's not the way it is for me. So yeah. it's like when I'm looking for somebody to come into his home, a stranger, I have to talk to them for, for my purposes 30 minutes on the phone because I have to gauge their experience. I have to gauge, are they a people person? Because my dad, similarly to me, he likes to talk. He likes to get to know people. This takes time. And when it doesn't work, mm -hmm. it is devastating. <laughs> and so I can't explain all of that to somebody easily, you know? And sometimes, and it's like, people don't always, it's not their fault, but because I, I don't know about you, Sandrine, I'm curious. Do you feel now that you, like in terms of other people in your friend group or like your age, do you feel that they're, that you're still sort of in it as like a, like a minority in terms of like, you don't know a lot of people or do you know more people that are caretakers at this age? Um, I think it's half and half and I'll tell you why, because like I said, I had friends that I didn't know were going through, like, stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. But I will say the majority of the folks that I, my, my friends, 
probably not know. There's a handful. You know, there's mm-hmm. still a handful. And I I think also too, and I think I wanted to ask you this question, but do you feel talking about some of these struggles, do you ever feel like, oh, why am I burdening my friend about this? All the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Constantly. I do not like the idea of anyone feeling sorry for me, but probably, unfortunately, even more, I'm more concerned about what you said, which is, I don't want to bother anyone with my problems. <laughs> Can you relate, Sandra? <laughs> Can we stop recording for a yeah, second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your mom? <laughs> Robert, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> OMG, can we keep that in? That's so funny. That literally is like what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should keep it in. <laughs> and then he disappears. So, Sandrine, it sounds like you can relate to fearing that you are burdening your friends. Yes. It sounds like. Why are you worried that you're burdening them? I think because I feel like they have their own stuff maybe that they're going through that has nothing to do with caretaking that why am I going to bother them with this Mm -hmm. minimal thing? Like the tire thing was like not even an issue that I felt like, oh, I needed to talk to them about. I I mean, I talked to you about it because I feel like you could identify with Mm -hmm. it. I remember telling my husband Eric about it because – I was just so frustrated because, like, I literally had the day planned out and then this monkey wrench comes in mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, but this is this is what happens with caretaking, right? It happens all the time. For the last year, because of COVID, all of my visits to my dad have been very squeezed. So it's like, literally, I make, it's. I feel like I'm making a call sheet. This is film lingo, by the way. For when I used to work as a production assistant on a film set, there's call sheets and there's uh, all kinds of crap that's just basically telling you what's happening basically minute by minute for the whole shoot. That is what I, I, I'm hoping that this last trip was the last time I'm going to have to do that um, because now I don't have to worry about all the moving parts of, can I be in the same room with this person? Can I do this? Can I do that? Uh But yeah, it's basically like, you know, I have to make a list of like, okay, we have to go to the dentist. We have to uh, have this virtual doctor's appointment. We have to get him new shoes. I have to get him a new mop. I have to clean his apartment. Oh, and I have to spend quality time with him separately from that. And that's its own thing. (laughs) Uh, And... If anything on that list goes wrong, it feels like a failure. It does. And so, I I don't know. This is just something that popped in my head. But when you were talking about feeling like you're a burden to your friends, Mm -hmm. what it makes me think of is the idea that, say you tell that whole story about the tire. I've had that before where I've told somebody a whole day where one thing went wrong. It was, you know, related to caretaking. And by the end, by the time I get to the end of it, I'm thinking to myself, why did I... Everything's fine. He's still alive. I'm alive. 
why did I even tell this person this? Like, mm. what are they getting out of it? What am I even doing? And then, you know, it becomes this thing of like, I feel like I only hear about uh, people when they pass away, uh, if they're diagnosed with cancer. No, that's not true. That's not true. There are definitely people for their own reasons, and I've known at least one who quietly was going through cancer and didn't want to tell lots of people about it. Um, so yeah, I feel like for whatever reason, it's why you got these DMs of like, you know, oh, you're talking about this. Finally, I can I can talk about this. So I really hope that, uh, I hope that because I, and by the way, this is the most openly, as I'm speaking to you, Sandrine, I think this is the most open I've been on, on a podcast mm -hmm. and this detailed about just one of some of the many complexities and, and heartaches of, of caretaking. But I also want to throw in here, because even as we talk about this, there's a part of me that feels guilty. I'm complaining. But to me, the underlying sort of thing of all of this, this whole experience as a caretaker is a deep guilt mm. all the time that I am not there, that I have not given up my life, decided to move back to Connecticut, take care of my dad. That guilt is always there. Mm. And every time I talk about this, I feel like I'm being like a whiny little bitch mm. <laughs> where I'm like complaining, um, but I, I hope it's apparent, but I want to say it, that all the struggles that come with being a caretaker, only speaking for myself, it comes with great love. Like, man, I, I, I love my dad so much. And it's why I, it becomes so hard to pull myself away from him and try and live my own life. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm like, every time that I'm not there, every time I have to leave and say goodbye to him, I'm like, and I, I was about to ask you, can we swear on this? I think we can, if we want to. Yes. We can swear sometimes. Absolutely. Like, if it, if it, if it, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to be as true to myself and I hope you feel this way, Sandrine. I wanna try and be as open and true to myself as possible. Uh, especially about a topic like this um, because all the support groups I'm in and stuff, they've been a really great way to learn how not alone I am. And speaking with you, it makes me feel so much less alone. Yay. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. So happy to hear that. And with that in mind, I think this is a good place to end part one of this episode, this murky topic and episode, caretaking, where to begin. So guess what? This is a two-part episode. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll be chatting with the care and support program manager for the Alzheimer's Association, Juan Linghang. Care Talkers is a More Banana production executive produced by me, Anita Flores, and Sandrine Etienne. It's edited by Joanna Samuel and produced by Caitlin Moldenhauer. Thank you to the Reverend John Delore for the music. You can follow me, Anita Flores, on Instagram and Twitter at Anita Jutina. That's A-N-I-T-A-J-E-W-T-I-N-A. And you can follow me, Sandrina Tan, on Instagram at Misguided Notions. Help us get the word out by telling a friend about our show today. 
Make sure to rate and review Care Talkers and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.